0: Hello guys and welcome back to the second episode of the first season of my podcast, Park and Listen, hosted by the one and only Sophia Parker. I am so excited for this episode because I'm finally going to be deep diving into a really important conversation, very controversial but important. And a conversation that I have a lot with my friends and family, and it's a difficult one if you do have a very polarizing stance one way or another to talk to someone who disagrees with you about this topic but i hope i shed a little bit of insight and knowledge onto why this topic harms the entire black community and why we must find at least middle ground when moving forward if the black community wants to progress And finally be taken a little bit more seriously when we are fighting for policy change, when we are fighting for justice. Because if we're not supporting everyone in the community, then where do we really stand as a community? But of course, before I get, oh wait, did I even mention what today's topic was? Well, it's homophobia. Oh my god. It's homophobia. I'm going to be talking about homophobia in the black community. I'm sure you already knew that from the title and stuff, but I thought I said it. I didn't say it. Um but before I get into this topic, of course, I'm gonna start off this episode with my favorite of the week and with my pop culture take of the week. But actually instead of pop culture take because I haven't really seen anything worthy talking about. I mean little baby, little baby, little bit ba- little little whatever. little baby cheated on Jada, but like that's something new. He's been cheated. Like I don't really think that's exciting. And also I don't really care about these rappers. these influencers that much i don't think it's that big of a deal to talk about that so i'm going to be talking about something a little bit more political but first of course let's get into my favorite So, my favorite this week is actually an oldie but a goodie. I don't think I mentioned this in my last episode, but I do currently work at Bath & Body Works. I'm a seasonal sales associate. I love it. I could do an entire episode about it. I absolutely love it. It's a great job. They pay so well. I love my coworkers. Um, I got really lucky with this job and like hopefully I get to stay after the season. I think, you know, my managers like me enough. (laughs) I won a Starbucks gift card yesterday for having the most energy. Um, But because I started working there, I started using a lot more of their products. I've always used Bath & Body Works products, but I really would only go like once a year. Like I really wasn't going that often. Their products last me a long enough time to the point where I'm not going once a month. There are some people who go to Bath and Body Works once a week. I kid you not. Like every single time there's a sale, they go there. They are Bath and Body Works stands like it's Loki occult. But anyways, um, I respect them. That's that's dope. I think it's really cool. People who like genuinely like love the products and like support them continuously, always. Like that's the only place to get their hand soap from. That's the only place to get their body wash from. I love it. I love it. I love it. But since I started working there, like I said, I started using a lot of their products. And a product that I've rediscovered was their mentha Lip Balm. By I think it's by the brand like CO Bigelow and Back and Body Works just carries it. But it's the like lip balm. I would consider it more of like a lip gloss because it has like a glossy, shiny finish. Um, but it's like comfortable like a lip balm and it's the menthol one that like makes your breath smell good and like it smells good itself and it tastes i mean not that you should be eating (laughs) an lip balm but it tastes really really good too and oh my gosh i'm obsessed i remember using it when i was like little but i guess i just forgot about it because i don't go to bath and body works that much or i wasn't going that much before i started breaking there but it is incredible it's $8, I'm pretty sure, but it's worth it. It lasts you so long if you don't lose it. And it just smells so good. It's so moisturizing. I absolutely love it. If you are in need of a really good lip balm that like still gives you the look of a lip gloss, I recommend. I get just the plain like mentha mint one. But they come in like vanilla bean. They have like tinted ones. So it's great. It's versatile. I love it. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. And before I get into my political take of the week, I did want to just apologize about the audio from last week. I think the audio itself wasn't too bad considering the fact that I still don't have my microphone set up and I still don't have it set up this week. I'm so sorry. I really, really, really hope I have it set up by next week, but it's just been really hard because I do work a lot and um, making time to go to Best Buy is hard when all I want to do is sleep as soon as I get home. So. Hopefully it is up by next week, but I noticed when I was listening to it back that you can hear my nails tap every time I go press record and that is so annoying. I have acrylic nails, they're long, but that is no excuse. I'm going to be more conscious of that. You could also just hear me like moving and like I'm a very animated speaker. When I talk, I move my arms, I move my head, I move my body. So I was dropping a lot of stuff and I was tapping and I'm just going to work on that and be a lot more conscious of the sound around me, my environment around me, every time I record from now on, I'm going to make the whole household know that, so they can be quiet, (laughs) I live in a condo, so we're pretty close together, but um, I do want to make the best effort to make my audio as great as it can be, until I get my microphone, because I'm assuming once my microphone is set up, my audio will be even better, I don't think it's too bad right now, I think it's definitely manageable, it's not horrible, but if you are an avid podcast listener, then of course, if you listen to my audio and then listen to another podcast, you, you'll be able to tell that my audio is not up to par with where it should be. So I am working on that. Trust me, I'm taking it all in. Um, I I'm not sure if you can leave comments on the Anchor platform, but if you can, like leave comments, leave suggestions, leave feedback. I, of course, am going to be giving myself my own feedback every time I go in to record and edit and upload but I also would love to hear you guys' feedback as well because at the end of the day while I do love this I'm also making this for you guys and for my listeners so your input comes first of course so just want to get that out of the way um before I continue on with this episode but getting into my political take of the week I actually want to talk about the fact that They approved the COVID vaccine. And when I say they, I'm talking about the FDA. Um, this is just really exciting for me personally, because I am one of the people who did take COVID very seriously and didn't go to any parties. Didn't do all of the things the CDC was saying not to do, you know, while I do hang out with friends like once every two weeks. Um, I definitely took Corona a lot more seriously. My mom is a nurse and so she of course was taking it seriously and instilling in me the importance of taking it seriously. So I just was one of those people that was really sick and tired of people not listening. Sick and tired of people complaining about their school not opening or complaining about bars being closed but in turn were the reason why all of these things were closed. And so while I wish that we were one of the nations like New Zealand that had just gone into a very very strict 4 to 6 week lockdown as soon as the outbreak started, so we would have been out of it by now, obviously that's just not realistic (laughs) with where we are now, our numbers are out of control and of course I still do think that a 4 to 6 week lockdown would be helpful, it would still get our numbers in control unless we were literally being arrested for being out i think americans would still go out and that's just how selfish americans are and it's really sad that that's the case but it's you know the reality of the nature and i do also want to touch on the fact that people are very skeptical of the vaccine they a lot of people are saying they're going to refuse to take it they are gonna put microchips in it. We're gonna be zombies. It's gonna mutate us, whatever, whatever. I don't want to say people saying that sounds stupid because I understand why someone would be skeptical, especially a black person. Um, for those of you who are unaware, um, a couple of decades ago, there was this experiment called the Tuskegee experiment where dozens of black men were guaranteed affordable I think not just affordable but free healthcare if they were a part of this experiment but instead they were injected with syphilis and were given no money, no compensation and no healthcare. And so stuff like that definitely leaves black people very skeptical of not only the government but healthcare in general and you know white pushing drugs and medicine. And so I can understand it from that perspective. But if you're a skeptic because it was rushed or you think they're going to track us or Trump has something to do with it, that I don't understand. I don't get that. With everything that doctors are telling us and the information that they're providing with us, this type of vaccine is actually safer than any vaccine we've seen before. Um, I've done a lot of research on it myself because I was one of those people that was a little bit more hesitant um, to take this vaccine. But after thoroughly, thoroughly researching this vaccine and the trials and the effects that the trial patients are having, you know, it's safe and it's being made um, with MR, mRNA, which is different than any other vaccine, which is heavily safer than any other vaccine. And, um, I could go on and on about this. I could probably make a whole podcast about this, but I'll stop it at um, the biggest adherence I've seen people bring up recently or this past week was the fact that four out of the 20,000 plus patients, I should add, that's important to add, developed, I think it's called Bell's palsy, which is when your face, uh, what is it called? It's when you suffer from facial paralysis and people were going crazy over this. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. I told you guys this vaccine is not safe. Blah, 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 Okay. <laughs> Firstly, Bell's palsy is temporary and it does not last long at all. It's not permanent paralysis in any regard. So that's the first thing to mention. Second thing, well, as I already mentioned, this was only four of the trial volunteers out of over 20,000. In any trial, there's going to be outliers. There's going to be um, abnormalities to the rest of what the trial participants are experiencing. That's just how it works. If you've taken statistics, you know that's how any trial, any test, any survey, that's how it works. There's always going to be something that is different, whether it's good or bad. Now, the next important thing to mention is that the amount of people for who received Bell's palsy as a result of being a part of the COVID vaccine trials, it's consistent with the amount of people who have Bell's palsy in the normal world. So with that being said, this is not new, this is not surprising. This is expected with this type of trial, having X amount of people develop Bell's palsy is expected. They could have developed Bell's palsy for numerous of reasons and it cannot be directly, um, correlated with the vaccine as of now. It just can't. And I was actually having this conversation with a group of my friends and they were like, well, you know, the COVID vaccine in general could have really bad long-term effects. Well, if that's the argument you're using, anything can have long-term effects. Literally anything. Using your phone for more than 10 hours a week can have long-term effects. Literally anything can have long-term effects. And so to straight up refuse taking it because you don't know long-term effects, well, you don't know long-term effects of almost anything until you reach the point where long-term effects can be seen. Like I said, I could do an entire episode talking about this and just debunking all of the skepticism people are having but I'm not because that's not what this episode is about and me personally I'm going to take the vaccine once it is available. I want to go back to school. I want to continue about my life and not taking this vaccine is honestly just as ignorant as not wearing a mask in my personal opinion because America is at the point where we need to take a vaccine. If people aren't going to quarantine, if people aren't going to social distance, the only thing that's left is taking a vaccine, a vaccine that has been in the preparation stage for years now. You know, the, the companies and the pharmaceuticals creating and developing this vaccine have been preparing for a pandemic-like situation for years now. This is not new technology. This is not a brand new vaccine. As one of my good friends Zoe was actually mentioning during one of our conversations, Corona itself has been around for years, just not this strain. So, you know, I just think that at this point, if you don't take it, if you straight up refuse to take it, you're being selfish and you're not thinking about the millions of people who have died, the millions of people who have suffered from you know breathing difficulties and are gonna have these issues from corona for the rest of their lives you're not thinking about that you're being selfish and you're probably someone who didn't have corona or if you did you didn't have any symptoms and you don't have any effects from it so that's where i stand on that and yeah i just urge everyone to do their own research to not believe everything you hear on twitter to not believe everything you hear on instagram if you did that you know then you probably are skeptical you probably aren't gonna want to take it so you know like i said i have a mother who is a nurse and she's feeding me accurate information i trust her i believe her and i urge you guys to take a moment to step away from social media and to genuinely do your own research don't follow the crowds don't follow the masses don't believe everything you hear on the internet that's so oh that's so like toxic and bad but i I digress, I just see I'm getting heated just because, you know, something that I think is really important and something to really take into consideration. So finally, getting into the main topic of this episode, which is homophobia in the black community. Now, this is a more serious topic, in my opinion, because You know, I'm not a part of the LGBTQ plus community, so I don't want to speak over them. And if you are listening and you are a part of that community, I don't want you to feel like, oh another straight person speaking for us, you know, we can speak for ourselves. I definitely don't want that to be conveyed in this episode. Um, I more so want to talk about the effects of homophobia in the black community, not necessarily the effects specifically on people apart, of the LGBTQ plus community, um, but just kind of a more general, overarching approach to the conversation. I hope that makes sense. Um, and so I have an outline for the episode. I didn't want to give myself like a super strict script just because if I do go off on a tangent or if I do think of something along the way, I definitely want to talk about it. I don't want to, you know, ignore anything that comes to my mind if it's relevant to the conversation. Um, And I also, if you are listening to this episode and you are very strict about your beliefs either way, of course, I'm going to be mainly speaking to people who are homophobic, Um, just to just step outside of yourself for a moment and really just come into this episode with an open mind. I completely understand why some people feel the way they do on either side. And I am going to get into that and why people might feel that way. But it's important to realize that if you are privileged in this conversation, if you are straight, if you are cisgendered, if you are privileged in this conversation, that matters. And think about why that might matter. And I think that'll lead you towards having a more open mind. Addressing your privilege is really the first step in this. I'm straight. While I do suffer from other oppressions, such as being a woman and being black. I'm straight and that is a privilege. I am so privileged in being straight and being able to understand that, okay, for example, just because I'm a black man and I suffer from, you know, racial oppressions, I also benefit from gendered and sexuality privilege as being a straight man. So just keep that in mind when listening to this episode. Um, If you are a white woman and you are listening to this, if you're a straight white woman, to be more specific, listening to this, consider your privilege. If you are homophobic and you take up both of those categories, consider how your privilege plays a part in you being homophobic. So just wanted to preface with that. I think it's really important. When having more difficult conversations to really step outside of yourself and step outside of your beliefs and truly not just say you're coming into it with an open mind, actually come into it with an open mind because that's really the only way you're going to internalize and really ingrain and soak in all of the new information you're getting. And even if it's not new information, just a different perspective. Having these walls up is such a big issue and you know every political debate and even this, this isn't even political, this is human rights in my opinion. Any just debate in general, having these walls up is why our country remains so divided and why the black community remains so divided in this conversation. So just wanted to start with that. I also think it's important for me to know that I am not a professional I am not an expert on this. Everything that I'm going to present today is information that I've learned at my HBCU or that I've done my own research about. Um, I'm not a professor of sexuality, I'm not a professor of gender. I definitely am not an expert on any of this, but I have taken the time to do my own research. I have taken the time to take courses that will further my education. And so again, another thing I think is important to note is that please take everything I say with a grain of salt and continue the conversations, continue the research. You know, nothing I say I'm claiming is fact. You know, a lot of this stuff is just patterns of generational knowledge and generational trauma and um, statistics and things that we can just see from years and years of research and study And if you are in the Black community, I'm sure a lot of this you can just see in your own household, to be quite frank with you. So, yeah, I do have some statistics statistics I will be bringing up. But, you know, statistics, again, can go either way. You know, I like to look at statistics, but I can also understand why someone would think that statistics are whitewashed and aren't as helpful as you might think they are. So, yes. Just wanted to also say that as well. Okay, so the first point that I wanted to touch on is the origins of toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity can be defined as a set of attitudes and ways of behaving stereotypically associated with or expected of men, regarded as having a negative impact on men and on society as a whole. And like the example sentence that they give is the destructive messages associated with toxic masculinity can lead a man to feeling entitled to engage in violence against women. So when looking at toxic masculinity specifically and the black community, I'm only going to start as far back as slavery. I definitely think we could start further back, but I think Western ideologies and slavery just really instilled another level of toxic masculinity into the black community. I think even looking at indigenous, native, um, African cultures and tribes and communities, they were a lot more appreciative of women's roles and accepting and welcoming and toxic masculinity really wasn't a thing until Western ideologies kind of tainted the black community, in my personal opinion. Um, so when looking at slavery and starting with slavery, it's really important to remember that black men and black women were treated very, very similarly. You know, women weren't let off the hook because they were women in the same way a white woman or the slave owner's wife or whatever might be granted more graciously. Because she was a woman, you know, black women were still whipped, black women were still raped, black women were still beaten, just like black men, you know, there was a very, very equal playing field in that regard. Um, black women were still out there on the field, right alongside the black men, and then, even more so, black women had to go home and then take care of the man. So, you know, this, uh, this isn't a conversation debating who had it worse, or, you know, who dealt with more severe punishments under slavery. I definitely don't want to get into that today, but it's important to note that when talking about talking masculinity, starting with slavery. Because slave owners and white people in general were doing the same things to both black men and black women under slavery, there really wasn't a sense of power within the black men. And I'll explain. Black men were weak. They were weak under slavery. They couldn't help, not only themselves, but they couldn't help their children. They couldn't help their wife. And of course, vice versa, but you know, when you have these slave owners enforcing all of their power onto you, you feel like nothing. You feel like you amount to nothing. And, you know, of course it's really sad, you know, talking about this stuff is really sad, but it really shows how vulnerable black men were during this time. You know, they didn't have what they have now. And even though, you know, they don't have nearly as much power as white men do now, even still, they didn't have even half of this during slavery times. And so with the end of slavery, black men finally, finally could take some control of their lives. You know, they could start to own property. They could start to actually dictate what their wives did and didn't do. They could actually dictate what they got to do or didn't do. And while, of course, again, it wasn't that much at all. Um, They had something, they had something to hold on to. They could finally, finally, finally have power in something in their lives. And this power really stemmed from their sexuality and their masculinity and how they show themselves to the world. Therefore, toxic masculinity really really took a strong grip of the black community um i will say because black people had little to nothing during this time black women were working just as much as black men were um of course like if they had like young children the mothers would stay home take care of the children but a lot of black women were working just as much as their husbands just simply because they had to in order to put food on the table, they, they couldn't, they didn't have the luxury to stay home only, you know, so it really wasn't like that quite yet. But black men finally had the power to tailor how their children would come out to tailor the the perspectives and the viewpoints of their wives. You know, before they didn't have a say in whether or not their children will be sold next week. They didn't have a say in whether or not their children could stay in and do this. No, their children had to be on the fields with them. Their children had to be in the house, cooking food for their owners. Like they didn't have any say. So now having all this say, it's like a rush. (laughs) It's like a rush of power. It's a rush of, of, of power. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only word. I think accurately describes the phenomenon that went on, you know? Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of black men don't recognize that they still have privilege. They still have an immense amount of privilege. The only thing that separates them from a white man is the color of their skin versus I'm separated from white men for the color of my skin and my gender. You know, intersectionality is such an important thing to keep in mind when talking about these social phenomenons that occur in our communities because privilege does not have to show itself in only one in only one way, you know? And I've personally had to educate several of my black Guy friends on what intersectionality is and it's really sad that that's not something that they're already being taught you know i was taught about intersectionality i was fortunate enough to learn about what intersectionality is at my HBCU, but that's not a common common practice at least not yet and hopefully in the coming years it is but it's not not right now so I think I touched on the most important factors about the origins of toxic masculinity, how it came about, why it came about. Obviously there's probably various other reasons why toxic masculinity became such a strong part of the black community. But in terms of this conversation, I think talking about it from a sense of power and having power and having control over themselves and over their family finally, is the most important you know, avenue to really look at it in. So in terms of homophobia, how does homophobia play in this? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> homophobia and toxic masculinity go hand in hand. They are two piece in a pod. They are best friends. They are ride or dies for one another. Most likely, if you are homophobia, you also hold very strong toxic masculine viewpoints. It just, it is what it is they reinforce one another they keep each other upright and it's really hard to separate the two from one another to quite to be quite frank with you and so the second point that i really want to hit is the cycles of abuse it's no secret that when you are born when you are being raised you are socialized to absorb the attitudes and opinions of your parents it's just it works um socialization is a topic um discussed in sociology and it's basically how you develop your opinions about things your emotions about things your attitudes about things and your viewpoints about things and you can be socialized not only from your parents but from your community from your schools from your friends from tvs you know socialization is very multifaceted and a lot a lot of parts play a role in how you are socialized and so when we talk about these cycles of abuse in the black community, we're talking specifically about this abuse of opinions, abuse of viewpoint and strictly, strictly, strictly holding your kids to the same opinions that you hold yourself. And it's abuse because your kids should be free to believe what they wanna believe. They should be free to think for themselves and come to their own conclusions about things in, in the world, you know, Um, I think a great, a great example of this, you know, not related to the black community is conservatives and Trump supporters, a lot of people are conservatives because their families are conservatives because that's what they were raised around. That's what they were taught. That's what that is what was ingrained in them from as early as they can remember. And while yes, of course, a lot of people realize that they're conservatives again, as older adults. Um, it's important to have that awakening on your own, you know, and I think when it comes to political opinions, it's a little bit easier to find your own voice because politics is all around us and there's so, 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 so much great, great information that you can soak in about politics on either side to come to your own conclusions. But when you have a topic like homophobia and just not liking people who aren't straight in general, it's a lot harder for people to change their stance because you have to actively go out of your way to learn about the LGBTQ plus community. You have to actively go out of your way to hear a different perspective and hear a different side of you versus politics. You know, even though I identify as a liberal, I'm a Democrat, it's not that hard for me to see what conservatives are thinking. I can just turn on Fox News. I can just go to Trump's Twitter and read all of the replies. You know, it's not its not that hard. Versus if you are homophobic and you don't like gay people, you don't like bi people, you don't like anyone that's not straight. You really have to go out of your way to challenge. Sorry, in editing, I realized that I didn't really like how I finished that thought. Um. <laughs> You really do have to go out of your way to challenge your beliefs as someone who is homophobic and if that's something you believe why would you want to challenge that why would you want to do that you know well because homophobic people are ignorant duh i mean duh that's (laughs) as someone who's not homophobic we can easily pinpoint why they wouldn't want to challenge that but you know when talking about these cycles of abuse it's really really important to look at how a homophobic not challenging their beliefs then negatively impacts what they're doing to their children and how they're socializing their children, how they're raising their children. These opinions and these viewpoints are only getting passed down through each generation, through each child that is born in the black community to a homophobic Community around them, the home folk family around them, and you know, we want to be better. We want to be better than the racist and the KKK supporters raising more racist and more KKK supporters. We recognize how wrong that is. How wrong that is to raise racism is taught. Racism is taught in the same way homophobia is taught, and I think that's something that a homophobic a homophobic a, a homophobic person Wouldn't understand, you know, they just think being gay is bad. That's bad. It's wrong We're supposed to only be with someone of the opposite sex because We need to have kids or you know, that's just wrong. It's gay the Bible, whatever whatever their reasoning is but they're not going to point out the fact that they were taught to be homophobic. No one wakes up and is born, yes, I'm homophobic. Like no one, that doesn't happen. You're not born with any ignorant viewpoints. You were taught it. You were taught everything you know today, you are taught it, whether you want to believe that or not. You know, humans are intelligent, but we are not born already knowing anything other than to poop and cry and sleep, (laughs) very biological responses to being a human. We are not taught these socially ignorant viewpoints. We just, it's just, that's not true. That's not how it works. And so if you're taught to be hateful, wouldn't you wanna undo that? Wouldn't you wanna really look at the root causes for why you were taught that? Why, why? people think that being gay is wrong because like I said I'm not getting into the biblical reasons why quote people are homophobic because that's already been debunked and once you learn that's been debunked you can't use that as your platform anymore you can't use God not liking gay people as your platform anymore you can't why would God even even if that was in the bible even if condemning gay people was in the Bible. Why would you support a God that hates another group of people? That's like supporting racists, literally. And when you throw this information in the face of a black homophobic person, racism and not liking gay people are not the same thing. No, of course they're not. They're two different horrible, horrible things. But they're so similar in how they're brought about that you can't you can't ignore that, you know? So if homophobia is something that is constantly being reinforced in the black community with each child that is being born and brought up in the black community, and it's a cycle of you know instilling these toxic masculine viewpoints, you know, don't act like a girl, don't be a pussy, don't be weak. All of these super super negative um stereotypes and just gendered i don't even know what you would call all those things just gender norms i guess that are being inflicted on you know mainly black men i would say but definitely black women can see it as well um to not act gay you know don't act gay don't be gay oh that shit's gay don't be a pussy, stop acting like a bitch, Um, you know. How does this negatively impact the black community? How does this homophobia that starts in the household, that starts with how someone is raised, end up impacting the entire community? Let's talk about it. You know, some of those things that I just noted that are constantly said in black households, impacts us in so many different ways. Oh my goodness. Um, Something that I really want to talk about today that I think is one of the most important and sad ways that homophobia impacts the entire community is this lack of showing affection and love in black households. Um, A lot of black men are not shown love as children. They're just not, they're not shown affection as children and very quickly they're taught to be hard, to be tough, to not take any shit, to not cry, be a gangster, be a thug, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, fuck bitches, get money. All of this, you know, disgusting rhetoric is fed to them at such a young age. And I think that in turn, being fed all of this toxic, homophobia, toxic masculinity, all of these things then reinforces and perpetuates even more toxic masculinity, even more homophobia. And like I said, that's why they go hand in hand. That's why they reinforce one another. To give an example, if growing up, a black man is not kissed by his father, is not hugged by his father is only given tough love and never positive reinforcement, positive feedback, you know. When he's then raising his own children and there's a TV show where the father is kissing all up on his son and hugging him and telling how much he loves him, he's going to turn that show off. He's going to then tell his kid that she's gay. Never do that and then not explain any of it. Just go on <laughs> about things, you know? And I don't wanna generalize. Um, obviously every example I'm giving is just generational and decades worth of <laughs> examples and just patterns that we can see in the black community and, and how you know homophobic black parents Raise their children, and how that in turn inflicts toxic masculinity onto their children. You know, obviously, this is just an example. You know, this is an example I've seen in my own household. Um, And so, like I already said earlier in the episode, that I think I just need to say, I gotta take everything I say with a grain of salt. Okay, okay, cool. But with that example, and many, many other examples I could present. When you raise your children like this with this homophobic viewpoint, with this viewpoint that affection and love is gay, they're gonna start to think that showing love and affection and um, other examples I'll present in a second, aren't normal. They're gonna start to think that that's not normal, that kissing your son on the lips as he's a little boy is not normal. They're gonna start to think that that's gay and that should not be done and you know, doing those things is wrong. Another example that I could present is something as simple as a son wanting to wear pink. The the amount of times I've heard that that shit is gay is beyond me, you know? And I I can do a whole episode about why calling something gay is inherently homophobic because gay and bad are not synonymous, but I digress, Um, you know, just these subtle, subtle opinions and viewpoints and mindset thinkings really, really impact the entire community so negatively because it spews out the same amount of ignorance that we're already receiving. We already have to deal with racism. We already have to deal with racism. Why would you want someone else in your same community to deal with yet another oppression? That doesn't make sense to me. I've never, never been able to understand that. I've never been able to understand how you as a black man who already have to deal with police brutality racism the prison industrial complex would then in turn be okay with one of your brothers and sisters having to deal with homophobia on top of racism you're lucky you're a straight man you you're very lucky you are very privileged that all you have to deal with is racism because there's so many black people who have to deal with racism transphobia homophobia ableism Sexes and the list goes on you know so you're lucky and and that's why i mentioned earlier in the episode understanding your privilege and understanding how lucky you are will get you closer to freeing yourself from the shackles of homophobia because yes being homophobia being homophobic being homophobic puts you in shackles it really does it really does and don't even get me started about how a black person can consider themselves a liberal, and I mean, I guess this can go for any race, how you can consider yourself a Democrat and consider yourself a liberal, but you're homophobic. Make it make sense. Make it make make sense. Clearly you don't know the definition of liberalism. (laughs) Clearly, clearly. According to the Atlantic, only 25% of people in the black community think that being gay is okay, 25%. Imagine not feeling welcomed in your own community when you're already not welcomed and the human race community as a whole, imagine that. Imagine that, like that's so disheartening and sad to me there are people like that who were sheltered And put in a box of straightness their entire life because their homophobic fathers, their homophobic mothers, their homophobic aunties, uncles, grandmas made it so that they never felt like they could be themselves in their own household. That's sad. That is so sad. And to be okay with that is even sadder, in my opinion. Why would you you want to be okay with that unless you're homophobic? And so, when researching for this episode, and just researching on my own, I came across a really good article from the North Texas Daily, um, written by Michelle Monari—Monari, Monari? I think that's how you say it. her last name—and a quote that I really like, <laughs> that I think sums up what I've been talking about throughout this episode. Um, states: Judging an entire group of people based on something they cannot change is paradoxical paradoxical y'all i promise i can read um it's paradoxical and she hit the nail on the head like i've said a million times already we already suffer from racism something that we cannot change we cannot change the fact that we were born black in the same way a gay person cannot change the fact they are gay you like who you like and love is love I think there's a very toxic opinion that being gay is a choice. And that, wow, well, why would they choose to be gay? Why would they choose to face oppression? Huh? Do you know how stupid and ignorant that sounds? That's a great question. Why would they choose? to Why would you choose to face oppression? I'm not saying that I would choose to be white if I had the choice because I love being black, but why Why would I choose the base person as a black person? You're born the way you're born. And I've also done research on the biological breakdowns of being gay. And right now there really is no connection to DNA, genetic makeup and being gay. You know, they haven't found that yet. And so I can't say that it's in someone's DNA to be gay. I think that'd be a different conversation. Um, but when you know you're gay, you know you're gay. And I, I, like I said earlier, I don't wanna speak for gay people, but from 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 hearing this perp- perspective from my gay friends and um, from gay actors and actresses and just, you know, everything that I've learned about this topic, you know, they knew from early ages that they were gay, whether or not they verbalized that could be because they were in a gay household and they were scared or just a gay community and they were scared, but they knew early on that they liked the same gender. You know, they liked girls, they liked guys. And so now to present some solutions, I think when you're having conversations like this, you can, you know, possibly change someone's mind or open someone else to a new perspective but then you have to think, okay, well, now what, where do we go from here? How do we continue making positive change and reinforcing that homophobia is wrong? You know, how, how can we do that? And I think the fact that a lot of black Americans are straying away from the black church is a good first step. Now, I don't want to offend anyone who is religious watching this episode. I think church can be amazing for various other reasons, but. It's no secret that the black church is one of the other several reasons why homophobia was so instilled into black people, you know? There's a lot more black churches now that are a lot more accepting, but decades ago, I couldn't say the same thing. And so I think as a lot of black people are, you know, listening to the black church less and less and coming to their own conclusions about life in general, I think that's a great first step. And I think that it's going to be a lot easier to open people up to new opinions and new perspectives without, you know, the very strict guidance of the black church. I think the first step in really finding a solution, you know, you know, we're not going to be able to solve homophobia in the same way we're not going to be able to solve racism. It's just not going to happen to be very blunt. We're, uh, there's always going to be someone who's homophobic. Always, 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 always. But I think when finding steps and ways to really dive deep into why you're homophobic and the patterns and the stepping stones for homophobia in the black community, you need to listen. You need to open ears. And that's why at the beginning of this episode, I really urged everyone listening to step outside of themselves and really just take the back burner regardless of what your opinion is. You could be, you could agree with everything I was saying, but still just listen. I'll, you know, don't get automatically offense, uh, offended, defensive. Like you, you don't have to do that. You know, especially for the black people who claim they're not homophobic, but really are. Oh, I'm, I'm not homophobic. You know, I don't hate gay people. I'm not scared of gay people. I just don't support them. Or my kids just can't be gay or I don't want to see a gay shit in front of me, but I'm not homophobic. I'm not homophobic though. The amount of times I've heard that, especially from Morehouse College students who have a pretty decently sized gay population amongst them is beyond me. But nevertheless, um, Don't get defensive, you know? You need to just listen. Because the second you get defensive, that's when your wall comes back up and you know, you're taking everything in one ear and out the other. You're no longer actively trying to absorb what is being said to you and you know, I, I think if more people understood, more black people understood why they were homophobic, they would be more likely to not be homophobic. If they understood that the wide-scale hypermasculinity, toxic masculinity, homophobia in the black community is honestly a result from white people, Western ideology, slavery, I think they'd be more open and more willing to change that and to stop that cycle of abuse. Why is showing emotion in the black community taboo? Why do your kids being gay scare you so much? Why do you feel the need to be so sexual and have this many bodies and throw women away like rags and not regard their feelings and their emotions, but solely just have sex with them? Why, why is that? These questions and more will get us closer to solutions and finding a middle ground in, why homophobia is so prevalent in the black community. You know, a lot of this, a lot of the answers and a lot of these things stem from this exploitation of black sexuality, from slavery and from white people in general, you know, our bodies were all they cared about. All they cared about was us. They stripped us of human qualities. They stripped us of feelings and emotions and they solely, solely used our bodies whether that was our bodies in the fields, our bodies in the bed, our bodies for whipping, you know? So why would you want to perpetuate what the white man started? Why would you want to perpetuate that in your own communities? I I thought we were already released from the shackles of the white man. Now we're in the shackles of homophobia. I don't get it. And so there's so many other statistics I can present so many other article quotes and Definitions and so on and so forth that I could present and I hope to have this conversation again in my season two Where I bring in a guest each episode. Yes, I haven't talked about this yet, but for season two I want to have a guest um, Come on and give their perspective because they're actually going to be from the communities that I'm talking about So when I have this conversation again in my season two I hope to bring someone who is black and is a part of the LGBT LGBTQ plus community to give their first hand experience with homophobia in the black community because like I said, I don't want to overspeak. I don't want to give this savior trope because that is not my attention at all. And I hope I did a good job not doing that um, and really just sticking to the social impacts of it. But I do think this conversation would be that much more productive if I had this conversation with a black gay man from Morehouse specifically. And so I hope to do that. But at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to how willing you are to change and how willing you are to learn. I am strongly against the death penalty. Strongly against it. I don't think there's any need for the death penalty. And yet, if I was talking to someone who was on the other side of that, if they were approaching me respectfully with their facts, their statistics, their whatever, I would listen. It doesn't necessarily mean that I would automatically change my viewpoint, no. And I'm not expecting anyone who is homophobic to automatically change your viewpoint, especially if you were raised to be homophobic. Obviously that's ingrained in you and that's gonna be a hard viewpoint to change, I get that. But mainly for the people who are homophobic and don't consider themselves homophobic, you really need to listen to why why someone might call you homophobic. Even if you don't think you are, why would someone call you that, you know? If you are light skin and you only date other light skins and you don't think you're colorist, why might someone call you colorist? You know, so it's just, you know, things like this to just think about and internalize and, you know, not just, okay, like give it a day's thought, really internalize it. Internalizing something means that you are taking it in fully and you are applying it to how you think about things and just, you know, Really taking that time to challenge your viewpoints. The same way I'm challenging myself each day with all the new information that I'm learning, challenge yourself in the same way. I hope that talking about the deep-rooted historical context of toxic masculinity and homophobia really opened yourself up to why being homophobic now is not okay and how you can do better to change how you talk about gay people, to change how you interact with gay people, to change how you talk about gayness in general, because homophobia is not just not wanting to be around gay people. Homophobia is how you talk about gay people. Homophobia is how you react to, quote, gay things, you know? It's, it's so much more than that, you know? Normalizing gayness starts with how you talk about gayness how you think about gayness. That's what it starts with. And you know, I I hope that anyone who's listening to this who isn't fully an ally in the LGBTQ plus community, I'm not saying that I hope by the end of this, you are an ally, but I hope that you're more willing to become an ally in the future. And you're more open to the possibility of supporting them and uplifting them because at the end of the day, there are black gay people who are hurting, they're in pain. They don't feel like they belong. Why would why would you wanna be okay with that? I'm not okay with that. I never will be okay with that. And I always wanna do my part to uplift black gay members of black community. Wait, to up- <laughs> that didn't make sense. To uplift gay people, a part of the, of the black community. That's what I was trying to say. Um. And yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope when I retouch this topic, in the future that I can present even more information. And like I said, the perspective of an actual gay person, because, you know, I can't give that insight. I can't, I can't do it, you know, and I wouldn't want to be able to do that because that's not my place, but I do want to give the platform and give the space for someone who's willing to, to do that. And, you know, it's not our job to, you know, it's not our job to teach anyone. It's not a gay person's job to teach. A homophobic person about gayness not at all never is that the truth you should do the research on your own you should be wanting and willing to do the research on your own you know um but I think that there's a lot that can be learned from the personal anecdotes and experiences of someone who is gay and so I hope to be able to give them that place in in my podcast and if you are leaving this episode still thinking that Gay shit is bad and there should never be two dads and that's wrong and we were put on this earth to reproduce. Um newsflash people aren't living their life solely to have kids anymore. It's just not happening. Especially millennials and generations years, we're not having kids. Kids are expensive, kids are annoying, kids are loud, kids kids just aren't bringing the same amount of joy to people's lives as they might have. People don't live their lives solely for the fact that they might have kids one day. Like, sorry to break it to you. So that's a horrible argument to bring up is that, oh, well, we were put on this earth to reproduce. Mm, We're overpopulated. We don't need to reproduce anymore. We don't need to have kids. The birth rate in America is going down. It is going down. People aren't having kids anymore. We don't need kids to feel fulfilled in life. We don't need kids as a sense of happiness in life. And I just wanted to end on that because I hate that argument. I think that argument is stupid. I didn't call any of the other arguments stupid. I don't think if I did, I'm sorry. I don't remember saying that, but that argument in specific is stupid. That's dumb. We are not mindless creatures who only know how to have sex and reproduce. Like we live our lives to be fulfilled by other things. I want to be a lawyer. I would love to have kids, but that's not why I'm living my life. If I don't have kids, I don't have kids. I will be just okay, just okay without kids. I know I will be. So just had to talk about that before I end this episode. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at parkitandlisten. You can follow my personal Instagram at ali.sophia with a ph. And I hope you come back for next week and listen, comment, leave your feedback, all the good juices, all the good stuff. If you have any specific topics that you want me to touch on, you can always DM my Instagram account. And hopefully I'll do an episode about that. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. I hope you have a great week moving forward. And I feel like. I might have said that this week's episode would be a different topic. I think I said that it was going to talk about interracial dating. That's going to be next week's topic. Um, Yeah. So sorry if you thought today's episode would be about something different. But yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. And I will see you guys next time. Bye.